Welcome to the Week 9 edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. How great is the NFL? A week ago, we all wanted to leave the Jets for roadkill. They were embarrassed by their arch rival. The quarterback was injured. The coach was getting criticized. The GM was wasting draft picks. The owner was whistling in the graveyard. The rebuild was failing. Now look, a week later, everything is flipped and the fan base is fired up. And we have a Thursday night game that's actually interesting. We'll talk about the Colts game, Mike White, the possibility of a quarterback controversy, the trading deadline. We'll cover it all. And we'll talk to the radio voice of the Jets, Bob Wischusen, in the second segment. But let's start with the trading deadline. Kind of anticlimactic. The anticipated sell-off did not happen. They made a minor trade, dealing fourth-string tight end Daniel Brown to the Chiefs for backup guard Lauren Duvernay-Tardif. It's a good trade. Look, Brown was just taking up space. His blocking was terrible on special teams. He nearly got Braden Man killed in week one. And Duvernay-Tardif, well, he hasn't played in a couple of years, but he's been practicing, and it wouldn't shock me if he replaces Greg Van Roten at some point at right guard. Van Roten has been, quite frankly, bad. He's been the weak link on the offensive line. So now Marcus May, Jamison Crowder, Denzel Mims still on the Jets. I've been telling you for a while that there was no way they, was gonna, they were going to trade Mims, and I was right. And they got calls. Believe me, they got calls. But Joe Douglas told them all the same thing, not dealing Mims. The Jets were open to dealing May, who's on an expiring contract, as we all know, but they wanted a third rounder. I think interested teams wanted the Jets to eat most of his $6 million remaining salary for this year, and they didn't want to do that. Plus, they value May for now because he's really the only experienced guy in their secondary. Uh, I think on Tuesday, Douglas was noticeably noncommittal about whether he'd want to extend May after the season. I think they'll let it play out. If they tag him again, it'll turn into another Jamal Adams situation. I'm telling you right now, mark my words. Okay, now let's jump into the hot topic of the Let's talk quarterbacks, the hot topic of the week. I like the way Robert Sala handled this situation, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because he basically remained noncommittal. And it would be a different story if Zach Wilson had been playing well and the team had been winning at the time of his injury. But we all know those weren't the cases. Wilson was starting because of his draft status. Not that there's anything wrong with that, as Jerry Seinfeld might say. That sort of thing happens all the time in the NFL. But the landscape has changed with White's improbable, dazzling, historic performance against the Bengals. The dude became the first starter in NFL history to pass for 400 yards and three touchdowns in his uh, in his first start. Now, this wasn't Bryce Petty eking out an ugly win over the 49ers a few years ago. This was a legit win, and it was a carry the team on the back performance. You saw the other way the, the play the other players responded to him. I mean. You've heard the way they've talked about him. I've never heard them talk about Wilson that way. To a man, they've always said nice things about Wilson and his raw talent and his work ethic, but their appreciation for White sounds a little bit different to me. Maybe it's because everybody likes an underdog story. So this week was a no-brainer. 
White gets the start against the Colts. Sorry, Joe Flacco. We we all know you were expecting to play for Wilson. You said that publicly, but it ain't happening this week. That's for sure. Uh, the real question, the real question is what happens next if the Jets beat the Colts or if they lose competitively and White has another lights out game next week? We should note that they expect Wilson to be over his injury. Hmm. So now it gets interesting. So to me, this is easy. You dance with Magic Mike. You surf the white wave. This doesn't change the long-term picture. Wilson is considered the quarterback of the future, second pick in the draft, $35 million guaranteed, all that stuff. You certainly can't let one or two games change the master plan. But there's no, there's no rule that says... You have to go back to the future guy as soon as the future guy's knee is healthy. It's a long season. If White is the best quarterback, and right now he is, you play him and you see where it goes. Salah wants to build a winning culture, and part of that is creating a meritocracy. Best players play. If he sends White to the bench after another good game, it sends the wrong message to the locker room. Salah can't do that, and that's why I think he'd ride it out with White. This, this of course, isn't how the Jets drew it up. I think one of the reasons, though, that they didn't bring in an established backup was because they wanted to clear the runway for Wilson and give him a chance to grow and develop without any interference. Well, plans change. Mike White happened, and the Jets can't ignore it. And that's why I think Salah is handling this correctly. Now, could White be a one-game wonder? Sure, it's possible, but I don't think he'll turn into a pumpkin on Thursday night. I don't expect him to throw for four bills again, but I think he'll do fine against the Colts, and here's why. They play a lot of zone, just like the Bengals did on Sunday. The Bengals played zone about 65% of the time. Unlike Wilson, White showed patience, checking the ball down, and not forcing it downfield. He basically played a Mac Jones kind of game. Dink and dunk. Dink and dunk. He actually averaged less than four yards per attempt. He spread the ball around to 10 different players. And that sends a message to the other players. If you're on the field, you're live. The ball could be coming to you. A couple of weeks ago, I wrote a story about Wilson, football people telling me that he suffers from the Mahomes effect, trying to make spectacular plays. He's not the only young quarterback that deals with that. It's the same as the Steph Curry effect in basketball. All of a sudden, we have a generation of kids trying to shoot 30-footers. And if you're the Jets, you have to hope that Wilson outgrows that. Uh, you know, it's it's just part of the maturation process. You just want him to outgrow that. And I think he has to learn to play within the structure of the offense. That is so, so important. Boring football, as a certain local coach might call it. Now, the Jets brass felt confident that White would play well against Cincinnati because they knew he wouldn't play hero ball and that he'd be okay if the offensive line gave him time. The only thing we didn't see in the game was his ability to make tight window throws, which is considered less than one yard separation. He only had six in the game, according to our next-gen stats, and he completed only two of those six, and there were two interceptions. So he might struggle against a pressure-heavy man-to-man defense, but he can pick apart his own, and that's why I think he'll be okay in Indy. Eventually, Sala will go back to Wilson, but he's going to let it play out. Wisely so. 
Maybe it'll be obvious. Maybe it'll be a shaded and gray kind of decision, but make no mistake. He's going to go back to Wilson at some point. Maybe by then, Wilson will have learned a few things. So no, we don't have a quarterback controversy for now. Let's just call it a quarterback lesson. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. He's been the radio voice of the Jets for 20 years. He hosts a new podcast called Tape Heads with Dan Orlovsky and Scott Pioli. And frankly, I don't know how he gets any words in edgewise with those two. He does ESPN's <laughs> college football, golf, basketball, and now hockey. I don't know how he has time to be doing this with us, but we're appreciative. He's Bob Wischusen. Bob, thanks so much. You're worth it, Rich. Come on. <laughs> wow, man. I, I, you know, when do you get a day off? Uh, you know, I, like I said, I've, I've got five children, one's in college and four apparently want to go. So, you know, you got to do this stuff. You got to do what you got to do. Well, uh, you know, for the fans who don't know, you know, so Bob does these college football games for ESPN on Saturday. And oftentimes, you know, he's, he's scrambling to get to a jet game, the home games. I know obviously not road games recently because of the pandemic, but I believe you're back on the road now, correct? Yeah. Leaving tomorrow morning. We'll be in Indy. That is that is fantastic. So, I mean, how crazy are your weekends? I mean, you must have incredible travel stories trying to get some from Midwestern college town to a jet game. You must have had some uh, travel snafus over the years, but you've never missed a game, right? Never missed a game. No, there have been a couple of times where I've arrived during the pregame show, but <laughs> that's about it. That's about as close as I've cut it. Yeah. How about the night overtime Penn State, Illinois uh, that must have been a little uh, interesting. That was wacky. Yeah, it's funny. We were calling that afterwards. I said, you know, because I work with Orlovsky on those games as well. And I said to him, I don't know if you had the same thought, but like simultaneously, I'm thinking that, wow, this is compelling, right? Like this is like penalty kicks in the World Cup. There's a lot of people, I'm sure, saying, well, this is amazing. And they're tuning in. And, you know, I'm certainly caught up in the drama of this. But at the same time, I'm thinking this is weird and this shouldn't be like, this is not the way you're supposed to finish a football game. It's just ridiculous. The system. Um, so I guess both things can be true. It can be compelling and ridiculous all at the same time, but it definitely seemed that way. But I was, I was watching and it was an excellent broadcast. You definitely uh, lived up to the drama there in that. So, uh, and it was, it was, it was great. So let's talk about the jets here. Um, you know, thrilling victory last week over Cincinnati right back into Indianapolis. Um, let's jump into the headline right here. Quarterback, interesting quarterback situation going on. What is your take on it? And how surprised were you by Mike White? And where do you think this is going to go the next couple of weeks? Yeah, stunned by Mike White. I don't know where this is going to go the next few weeks. And I think you and I, if I read like what you tweeted after the game correctly, if I remember, I think you and I are on the same page. That I know two things. A, you draft a quarterback second in the draft. He's your quarterback. Right. Like, he's your future. Now, there's no way I'm sure the Jets right now are closing their eyes and picturing anybody two or three years from now other than Zach Wilson being their quarterback. And rightfully so. He's super talented. 
But what I also know is quarterbacks to throw for 400 yards and win don't get benched. Like that doesn't happen either. Right. So they'll probably, and I think Robert Sala was probably pretty honest when he said he didn't really commit to anything. Right. Just we're going to ride this. Like, let's see what Mike White does in Indianapolis. Let's see if he gets another start after that, unless Zach's ready to come back. And, you know, the one thing, though, that I find really interesting about it, and it does show you kind of the class system in the league where players who are drafted high or even drafted by a team, period, the net or the margin for error or leash that they are given, as opposed to a guy like Mike White, it's amazing. Yeah, Like Zach Wilson would have, he'll get the Sam Darnold treatment. Like he'll have three or four years to prove that he can or can't do this. Mike White, this past Sunday, got one shot. That might be the only shot he was ever going to get in his life to go out there and start an NFL game. And he knocked it out of the park. So good for him. Like I, I can't imagine there weren't at least a couple of people around the NFL that watch that game saying, well, if the Jets don't keep him long-term, maybe I can coach that out of him one more time. Like once you're on tape doing it once in the NFL, somebody out there thinks you can do it again. So I'll I'll be fascinated to see what he does tomorrow night as anybody. Yeah. I got a text from an NFL uh, executive after, you know, the day after the game and just said he made millions of dollars for himself. (laughs) At some point, uh, someone will, will pay him. Uh, It is fascinating. You're right. We're on the same page. I I agree. I thought Salah handled it perfectly. There was no reason for him to make an announcement, you know, just ride it out. His, his starter is injured right now. So it's, it's really a no brainer. And you're absolutely right. Zach Wilson's going to be the opening day starter next year, unless there's an injury involved. But uh, it is kind of fun, though. I mean, can you believe when they announced that it was the first 400-yard game since Testa Verde at, in, in 2000, it just makes you shake your head. You know? Yeah, which means it's the first 400-yard game I've called. Oh, yeah, right, 20 years. That was 21 years out, so that was the year before it came. Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, our first year of doing all the games was 2002. And I did call some games in relief uh, for a couple of years before that, but I would wager that that's the first 400-yard game uh, for a Jet quarterback that I've called. And to think yeah. about that, the Jets over the years have had anyone from, you know, Chad Pennington to Vinny Testaverde to Brett Favre to now, you know, Sam Darnold and Mark Sanchez and all these other guys they've spent, you know, incredibly high draft choices on that Mike White out of nowhere becomes the first 400 yard passer. And none of the passes really were like low percentage prayers. I mean, he threw a couple in the end zone that guys made amazing catches on. Yeah. But if you think back on the game, he threw for 400 yards, maybe four or five times the ball traveled more than 15 yards from the line of scrimmage. I mean, he really did. He did what he did to, the Bengals, what Mac Jones did to the Jets. Yeah. He dinked and dunked around the line of scrimmage and threw for 400 yards. And actually, you know, they call me next gen rich because I, I come up with the stats. He did not actually attempt to pass longer than 15 yards. The one yeah. he did throw downfield was to Elijah Moore, which actually got called back because of a, a penalty. That was the one deep shot he took, but he did a brilliant job of just, and I hate to use the cliche that coaches always, he took what the defense gave him. And you know what? I think Zach Wilson could learn something from that. You know, don't you think sitting up there in the booth watching that? And I think sitting up there in the booth is also, you know, like the appropriate phrase, because obviously there's a difference for 
the way Mike LaFleur does that job upstairs as opposed to downstairs, like how he sees it, how he feels it, how he recognizes what ought to work, coverages. He just he obviously saw it differently because I can't imagine he's ever not going to be up there again. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly Thursday night, he'll be up there. And he just seemed to call a more aggressive game. I mean, they came out throwing, you know, it was just like, all right. And they took the ball, right? Like they won the toss and took the ball. I was surprised by that. Yeah, I was too, because Robert Sala just had said about a week ago in a press conference that his philosophy is to defer. And he said he made a last second decision to to take the ball. It worked out brilliantly. and, And White started out 11 for 11. And it was just uh, it was just stunning. So, uh, where do you think it goes for the Jets this year? So, obviously, they're two and five now. Where do you see them? You know, as mid December, as we're going into the home stretch, what what kind of team do you think this will be? I don't know. I mean, like you know, I remember we always have these conversations once in a while, stand on the sideline at training camp. Everybody throws their opinion out there, and I think what Mike White did Sunday, and where they're at right now, kind of epitomizes what I thought they were going to be this year. I saw Chris Canny up in the press box, the Tennessee game a couple of weeks ago. He was like, Oh, what do you think today? I'm like, Chris, if you told me at the end of the year that the jets were going to have five or six wins, I would say, yeah, that's probably about right. Like they're going to play a 17 game season. I thought they might top out at seven. They might win four or five, but if you ask me which ones they're going to win, I have no idea. I have no idea. I mean, they're babies by NFL standards. They're the youngest team in the NFL. They have a rookie quarterback and a rookie running back and a rookie left guard and a second-year left tackle and on and on and on. All Everybody in the secondary for a while there, with Joyner being hurt and May being out for a while. I mean, it was like the average age of their secondary was like 24. There was nobody out there with any experience. So when you have a team like that, could these guys lose to Houston? Sure, Absolutely. Like, do we think Houston's going to go winless for the whole season? No, they'll upset somebody. The same way that the Jets could beat Cincinnati or beat Tennessee. Those are two teams that, if you told me at the end of the year, win their respective divisions. I would say, absolutely, I could see that. And then also lose to Atlanta. So I just think that's going to be this year with a young team. You just want to see the arrow pointed up. You know, you just, end of the year, you just want to be able to look back and say, all right, I watched 17 games and at least 12 or 13 of them, maybe they didn't win, but they played an entertaining, competitive, you know, in the fourth quarter, it's a one-score game, or maybe they're down by 10, or like this past week, right? They were down 11 with seven or eight minutes to go with the ball. I don't know if we thought they were going to come back and win, right. but just that kind of football at least will give you hope that maybe these young guys can figure it out at some point. That's all. But I, do I think... If I had to put a win total on it, I thought at the start of the year, maybe seven, maybe six. I still come down in that range. You just can't have any more games like New England. That's the one that you want to avoid those games. Yes. Uh, 54 to 13. Was that in your long storied career, which covers two decades, was that the worst game you've had to do with the Jets? I don't know. It's uh, We've had a few against New England. Yeah. That have been... <laughs> You know, I mean, even the year that they won up there in the playoffs, what was it, 45 to three? They lost on Monday Night Football yeah. in New England. So they've, they've had a few. Um, I, I think that would be kind of recency bias to say that. Yeah. <laughs> that 33 year. zip a couple of years ago with the ghost yeah. game, you know, so. Uh, exactly. And they've, yeah. they've, had, they've had their fair share. 
All right. So Marcus May still on the team. Jamison Crowder still on the team. The Jets did not have the anticipated uh, sell off as we thought they might at the deadline. Surprised a little bit. Um, you know, I think Joe Douglas has been at least from, you know, what I kind of observe. I think he's a very kind of steady hand where this seems to be concerned. He seems to put a price tag on a guy. And if you don't meet what he thinks the price tag should be or is, then that's fine. Then we'll just move on. And obviously he got every bit as much, if not more, than he thought he should get for Jamal Adams and pushed and traded at the time. Yeah. Probably the player that everybody would have described as the Jets' best player. Um, you know, and and there were other guys that he has moved, like Snacks. I mean, he, he made other trades for lower-level mm-hmm. draft choices. But, you know, I understand why he would want Marcus May back there with these young guys. You know, I would understand that when he gets Zach Wilson back, why he would want the steadying hand of Jamison Crowder. And if you want to take that away from me, you want to take the only veteran I've got left in my secondary. You want to take, you know, a a pros pro wide receiver away from me. Then you have to make it worth my while. I'm not giving Jamison Crowder for a conditional sixth round pick. He's just he's worth more to me than that. So I'm assuming with those guys, that's how he looked at it. I agree with everything. You just said, is Marcus May a Jet next year? Uh, that's a great question. I don't know. Does he want to be a Jet? Right. <laughs> that, that, that's a great question. That's a great question, too. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I I mean, to me, now, look, I, I don't, I, for two years, I haven't been in the locker room around these players, right? Like, it's like, you guys have to Zoom, I guess. I mean, I guess you're probably allowed in the locker room this year to no, talk to no. guys. Like, what have the rules been? Yeah, we're not in the locker room this year, but we're doing in-person interviews. So okay, we're not- yeah. So like after the game's over, I run down and I get like one or two guys in person as well. Hmm. But I mean, the ability for you guys to kind of develop that relationship with a player, to talk to them off the record, to kind of have that. Like I, I'm not around these guys for two years because of COVID. I have had no contact with the. I don't know these coaches really at all. Yeah. I've only zoomed with Robert Sala. I've never even met him in person. Yeah, um, so it's it's a bizarre way to try to do this job, but if I'm reading the tea leaves, I mean Marcus May seems to send a different signal either himself or through his agent every two or three weeks. Where do I think he'd be open? I think every player is open to get paid, right? Like you meet my price, all yeah. of a sudden I'm more than willing to stand there with a big cardboard check in front of me and shake the general manager's hand if you're going to make me one of the five highest paid players at my position. Yeah, but. Like, if, you know, if it came to like a competitive contract offer, how much does he want to be a Jet? I don't know. I, I don't really know because he doesn't really seem to send a clear signal that he wants to be here. Yeah, I, I think it ends one or two ways. I, I You know, I think he wants to be one of the five highest paid safeties. And we know from Joe Douglas's background, he doesn't value safety as as he does other positions. You know, we saw that with Jamal. So I don't think he's going to pay $14 million a year for Marcus May. They could franchise tag him for $12 million and change, but I don't think he wants to do that again. So I, I think if they do, I think it'll get acrimonious. You know, I yep. think it, his agent will make a stink. He's already made a, a stink on Twitter a couple of times. So I don't think they'll have Marcus May next year. But that's that's just my opinion. Um, next year, I mean, the rebuild with two more number one picks next year. Actually, four picks in the first two rounds from, from previous trades. Uh, I mean, the Jets have to be competitive next year, right? I mean, this rebuilding thing can only go for a year, correct? Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, like, I don't know what our definition now is of competitive with the 10 years that they've had. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, you definitely want to at some point see one of these rebuilds bear fruit. Mm. Um, but I do try as best I can to not lose sight of how vital it is that they do it right and they get it right this time. And to me, it's only accentuated by the fact that they had two general managers that both tried to do this and both failed and left this general manager with as barren a cupboard as anybody's ever going to have. Right. So like he really is, I think, trying to build up the middle of the roster as much as he's still trying to build up the top of the roster. And I was talking to somebody about this a couple of weeks ago that covering this team in this town with their history and this fan base it's almost like the NFL version of dog years, right? Like there are other organizations that have been every bit as bad or have struggled as much as the Jets over the last five or 10 years where their coach isn't constantly on the hot seat or the general manager isn't on the back pages. Of the paper is his job in jeopardy nearly as soon as it seems to happen with the Jets, right? Like it's accelerate. It's always on, on, you know, on, it's like a other Towns, it's like the record's on 33. With the Jets, it's on 78. Like, yeah. it's just I mean, the fact that people have already this year been writing columns talking about the fact is the heat being turned up on Joe Douglas? And Joe Douglas, with anybody's objective, even subjective view at their roster, inherited a team with no players. Mm-hmm. And it may feel like he's been here for a really long time. It's only a second draft yeah. that's actually on the field now. But he he took the job at the weirdest of weird times for a yeah. general manager to take the job. All the money had been spent. The draft was over. Yeah. So he had nine months to look at the team. I mean, a lot of general managers get hired and feel like they have like nine days to look at the team. And then they're at yeah. the combine and going through free agency. So, I mean, that at least for him was an advantage. Time was on his side there. But he's only been through a couple of drafts. Yeah. So what do they have to be next year? I mean, you're right. Like, they can't be four and 13 next year and then everybody's you know it's okay um but i'm also not going to sit here and say they better make the playoffs next year these guys are doing a bad job like this is we can look at it look at the team like this is not a playoff team any they know it that's why they traded jamal adams for draft choices yeah i got asked on a radio show recently you know is joe douglas in trouble is he on the hot seat i'm like whoa whoa whoa, whoa. come on right you know he's not He's not going, nothing that could happen this year is going to jeopardize his job. I mean, he, he's coming back. Uh, he got a six-year contract, which was a very smart move by him and his agent, you know, because they knew that this was going to be a massive rebuild. And so, uh, yeah, he's not going anywhere for a while. He'll get a chance to see this through. I want to talk about some, some give Jet fans some positive things to think about and, and dig into the uh, with shoes in archives. And all the games you've done. And so you're, we're talking over 300 games, obviously over 20 years. Yeah. What are you? It's a couple of your favorite games that you've broadcasted for the Jets. What what memories stand out? Well, obviously the Bart Scott can't wait playoff game in New England. I mean, that's probably you know the ultimate. You know, I mean, nobody expected them to go up there and win, and you know, so that was a lot of fun. Um, even the first couple of years that we were on the job, I mean, they went with Herm. Um, the first year that we were together, Marty and I, it's funny to think about, that was the year they started off two and five. They went out to San Diego, remember? And like yeah. Lamont Jordan ran for like a million yards and they like beat the Chargers up and they went on a run. They put Chad Pennington in at quarterback and they won the division. And that last Sunday of the season, when they played that four o'clock game against Green Bay, 
when we went into that game having no idea if the game was even going to matter. It was either not going to matter, they were just playing it to play it, or they were playing it to win the division. And then New England, of all teams, helped them and yeah. beat the Dolphins with an overtime field goal. And, of course, shows how old you and I are, Rich, and how long we've been doing this. These are like the pre-cell phone days. Yeah. Like the TVs in the stadium had that game on. Mm. And Adam Vinatieri kicked a field goal in overtime, and Giant Stadium went bananas. Like Curtis Martin ran like off left guard for two yards, and the place went nuts. And then they, you know, beat the Packers that day, and uh, and then had the home playoff win against Peyton and the Colts. And I remember walking even out of that game and saying to Marty, "That was fun. Yeah, I mean, that's rocking. I can't wait to do that again." And that was it. We've never we've never done it again. That was the only yeah. home playoff game we've ever that's, called. It year that's one. Been it. Yeah. That Green Bay game, that was as loud as I heard the stadium, the old stadium for a Jet game. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, that when they won, when when New England won, you know, it, it, it just traveled through the stadium like a uh, like a wave almost. And, and then everybody yeah. knew. And then I think the players knew. And then Green Bay really didn't stand a chance that day. You know, Brett yep. Favre did not. Who knew that he'd be playing for the Jets a few years later? But, uh, <laughs> you know, that's uh, another story for another day. But, yeah, it's been a while that the Jets have uh, – the Jets have done it. Now you you mentioned you haven't you've never really met Robert Sala, which is one of the uh, byproducts of our COVID era. But you have been with a lot of other coaches. You know, I know you get close to the coaches. You know, you meet with them on a weekly basis. Talk to who's some of your favorites that you've been with. There have been so many. You know, in the yeah. twenty years that you've been, uh, a couple of your personal favorites to deal with on a professional level. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I had a pretty good relationship with each coach, um, even with Sala. I mean, I, I Zoom with him every week. Mm-hmm. Now, that's different than being in the office with him and actually, you know, having a chance to get to know him. I mean, the Zoom starts, hey, how you doing? Who's hurt? Who should I not ask about? And then we do our interview and then it's kind of over. But he's been great. I mean, I can see very easily why he is kind of that magnetic personality and why the players rally around him. And he's got he's got that head coach aura. Uh, Rex was great. And Rex was a blast. Rex would tell you everything, you know, and once these guys get to know you and know they can trust you and know that what they're telling you is prioritary and you're not going to, you're not going to go out there and and burn them. Um, And I don't think there's ever been a time in the 20 years that Marty and I've been doing this. that We've been told something in confidence that came back to a coach that shouldn't have. So hopefully they all know they can trust us. Um, But even Herm was great. Mm -hmm. I mean, our jumping off point, like Herm, it's funny. Herm went to our boss and said, you know, we do these production meetings with the visiting coach. Like that's, if people don't know, that's standard operating procedure in the NFL. Your head coach, offensive defense coordinators, and two or three, you know, kind of premium players will sit in a conference room, either at the road hotel or at the home facility. And the broadcast crew for the game that week gets one-on-one time with these guys. And that's kind of just baked into the deal. I mean, that's like contractually, you got to do that. So Herm said to our boss, you know, 20 years ago, um, why do I not do that with our radio guys? And our boss, this is our boss coming off of like four or five years with Bill Parcells. Yeah. Our boss is like, well, no one's ever suggested doing it with the radio guys. He's like, well, those are our guys. Like I'm giving all of this information to guys that have no investment in the Jets. These are just random, randomly assigned, nationally, you know, assigned broadcasters for, for network TV. But the guys that are with us, with us every week, shouldn't they know what's going on too? My boss was like, yeah, sounds great. And two weeks later, we had a production meeting scheduled with Herm. And the rest of the time, he was the coach. Every Wednesday, 
Marty and I would go to his office and sit with him for a half hour, 45 minutes. And we could just ask him whatever. Mm. And he would tell us a lot. Um, and it lent tremendous context to what we were watching on Sundays because there were times where on the surface, something may not have seemed logical, but there was always a reason behind it. And to talk to him and have him explain it to us was a huge help. So I, I always have a soft spot for Harm because he he actually went out of his way to look out for us and our ability mm. to do our job in a way that nobody else ever has. Good for Herm. I had never heard that story before. So good for him. You know, Mangini, probably the most secretive, paranoid coach I've ever covered. Uh, how, how was he with you guys? He was good. Um, you know, he and I, I got lucky. He and I were like the same age. He might be a year older than me, maybe less. His kids are the same age as my kids. When he was the coach of the Jets, we were, you know, our kids are like the same age. We, we would talk about, you know, like how many episodes of Teletubbies have you watched in the last week? You know, I mean, we had, we at least had that common ground where I could yap with him a little bit where it wasn't about football. Mm-hmm. You know, like, how's your wife doing? I mean, is she, you guys getting any sleep? I mean, like, this has got to be a hard job. She's kind of raising the kids. And, you know, so we had that connection that I think probably allowed him to, you know, loosen up a little bit with me in a way that he might not in that press conference world that he had to with all of you guys. And then by the time I was there with him through that first season, the last couple of years that we were there, um, and I remember one of the Patriot games, I don't think it was a playoff game. I think it was a regular season game, but I mean, he basically gave me the defensive game plan, hmm. like just talking to him. This was before we do the radio interview, just asking him, you know, what do you think about tomorrow? I was like, all right, look, here's what we're going to do. And this was when they had Ty Law. Remember they brought Ty Law yeah. in and Patriots had Randy Moss. And he was like, here's what I want to do tomorrow. I want Ty Law to basically punch Randy Moss in the chest. Every time he comes off the line of scrimmage, because Randy Moss doesn't like that. And if he gets beat, he gets beat. That's fine. I got Kerry Rhodes, super athletic safety, put him over the top. I think we can take care of Randy Moss that way. And I think if I put, you know, Revis on Welker in the slot, hopefully that'll erase him. But what I'm really worried about is, I think it was like Jabbar Gaffney was the third receiver or the tight ends. He said, Tom's going to come out. Tom's going to see him. Like he's going to see what we're doing. He's going to see we're doubling Randy Moss. I got Welker covered up by Revis. We can't double everybody, so we're going to have to be man-to-man on the tight ends and on their third receiver. And sure enough, at the end of the game, Brandy, Brady had thrown like 14 balls for 250 yards and three touchdowns to those other guys. Yeah. And, you know, Mangini called it from a mile away the night before. But, yeah. you know, I, you could tell he trusted me because he told me what they were going to do. And then, and then calling the game, you kind of knew what to look for. It was a yeah. big help. Matt, yeah, tremendous help. Uh, Adam Gase? Again, not really. It was all COVID. Mm. Like the whole time I was with him, like it was, it was either a Zoom or even the first year that he was the coach, he didn't want to do the interview. I don't even know why. But the whole first year that he was the coach, I don't even know if anybody noticed, but he did not do the coach interview on our pregame show. Really? So mm. I didn't really even have a relationship with him much the first year. I mean, I would see him. You know, because obviously we're still traveling with the team. So I can get to know them a little bit. But my avenue to get to know these guys was that 15 or 20 minutes where seven or eight minutes of it, I'm going to record. But the other eight, 10 minutes, it's just, you know, get to know, you know, sometimes it's football talk. Sometimes it's not. Uh, But the combination of him not doing the interview year one and then year two, it was all COVID Zoom basically was just, you know, 
Well, obviously, I did not get to know him as much as I got to know like Rex or Arm. Yeah, Jet fans didn't get to know Gase uh, very well either because he wasn't here long enough to. Uh, yeah, they didn't seem to be too <laughs> interested in getting to know him. No, I think that ended quickly. There was no yeah. honeymoon on that situation. No. But uh, yeah. hey, Bob, this has been great. I mean, good good perspective on some of your uh, older stories, and and of course, kind of discussing the current Jets with their quarterback situation and Thursday night quickly. Thursday night, how do you think it plays out in Indianapolis? I have absolutely no idea. You're not. You're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to come out. No idea. <laughs> I mean, how how is anybody going to print now? The one thing I will say is Mike White looked from the minute he stepped on the field on Sunday, like as comfortable as he looked in the two minute drill at the end of the game when they were trying to win it. Mm-hmm. And you could just see it. Or like, how many times have you been to an NFL game? Right. Like how many how many NFL games have you watched in person? Mm-hmm. You you at this point, after doing this for 30 years and watching all of these guys, guy after guy after guy at that position play, you can eyeball it. Well, you can yeah. just see that first drive. You're like, wow, he's got this. Like he yeah. just looks comfortable. Now, yeah. I mean, they're like Tom Brady this past week threw a pick six in a big spot. Nobody looks more comfortable and nobody like gives right. off more of the air of I got this than him. So he could go out there and throw three interceptions and they could lose by three touchdowns on Thursday. Yeah. But I think the one thing that I will predict that, and I think, like you said, a personnel guy texting you saying he just made himself millions of dollars. Personnel guys can see it too. Yeah. You know, there are guys out there with happy feet looking at the rush, looking like they don't know where it's coming from. And, and then there are guys where you can just look at them. You're like, Oh, wait a minute. Like this, this guy has command of this. And I think he'll look like that tomorrow night. Might not be good enough to win, but it'll be fun to watch. Yes, the nation will get to know Mike White a little bit. So uh, it should be very, very interesting. Bob with Susan, I know you've probably got a million shows uh, on deck (laughs) knowing your schedule right after this. So we really appreciate it. Thanks so much for your time. You got it, Rich. It's Twitter time, and we're starting off with uh, John Beck questions. Actually, two of them. One from at Ruzica. Why was John Beck the hire not announced? And at Colonial Jim asks, does the Beck hire make it more likely the Jets will put Wilson back as soon as he's healthy so they maximize having Beck on the coaching staff? To Jim's question, I I say no. I don't think that's a factor. To Ruzica on why it wasn't announced, That is a great question. I do not believe the Jets were planning to announce this. They only acknowledged it publicly on Tuesday with Robert Sala answering questions in a press conference was because it got reported by the media. Um, He was actually hired a week earlier after the New England game. There was no announcement. He was on the sideline during the Cincinnati game. There was no announcement. If it weren't some fans picking up the uh, broadcast feed and putting it on social media, I wouldn't have seen it. And once I saw it, I tried to confirm it. Uh, Crickets from the Jets initially when it finally got into the media, then they acknowledged it. And I I think they didn't want to announce it because they know it's it's unusual. It's weird to hire a, a quarterback's coach in the middle of the season. The quarterback coach, who is the personal coach, of Zach Wilson. You guys know the background with John Beck, so I won't go into that. It's just a weird hire. I understand why they did it. Uh, Beck and Wilson, they connect with each other. Obviously, the Jets feel that Wilson has some mechanical issues that need to be worked out. 
They figured instead of Wilson having to call him during the week that in California, why not just bring him into the building? And so I get that part of it. Obviously, this is not a positive reflection of the coaching staff. You know, Mike LaFleur, Matt Cavanaugh, Rob Colibris, their job is to coach the quarterbacks and the offense. And obviously, Sala and Douglas felt that something wasn't getting through to Zach Wilson because they brought his personal guy into the building. Um, I understand it's well-intentioned. I see the positive behind it. I just think it's sort of a an indicator that you're going to see some changes on the offensive staff in the offseason. I, I don't think they can go back with this staff next year. And it's just it's just weird and oddly timed. And so we'll see how it works. But like I said, weird and oddly timed and uh, should be interesting for sure. Okay, the next question comes from at Gold Standard 824. What has happened to John Franklin Myers since he got his contract? He feel like he's disappeared the last few weeks. Didn't even have a tackle uh, against Cincinnati or just teams scheming for him more now. Uh, you're right, gold standard. Uh, in the last three games since he signed that mega contract extension, he's got no sacks, only two tackles and two quarterback hits. Uh, you know, I don't think it's time to sound the alarm bell. I don't think schemes teams are scheming for him. I think they might be scheming for the defensive line, throwing quickly, more screen passes, not allowing that front four to get home. I don't think it's a, a JFM thing. Uh, I think it's more of a defensive line thing, but you still expect more than two tackles. Uh, it's something to watch for sure going forward. And the next question comes our, our buddy at sports underscore FI3ND. Given your analysis of the game, how much of a difference in play calling did you see from Lafleur being in the booth compared to being on the sidelines? Does Lafleur deserve less heat now, or should we pump the brakes on that since it was a one-game offensive firepower uh yeah look i was critical of lafleur i wrote a story about it last sunday saying he was doing a poor job on offense and give the man some props he called a very good game against cincinnati it was their best offensive game in in quite possibly years so give him the props for that as for being up in the booth there was a difference in his play calling he was much more aggressive especially on the opening drive um I don't know if that was due to his location being upstairs. I think it was probably more to do with him feeling comfortable with Mike White, more comfortable than with Zach Wilson. I mean, White came out throwing. He was 11 for 11. They basically put the running game on hold and came out throwing and caught Cincinnati on their heels. It was a really good strategy. It worked. He's going to stay upstairs for sure with White being the quarterback again, and I suspect he may stay up there even when, when Wilson comes back. So let's not read too much into one game, but I definitely did notice a difference in play calling. At Zafa Bono, do you think the Jets still made a mistake by training Sam Darnold, Rich? And I can feel the sarcasm coming through Dave's question here. Uh, I am not ready to admit I was wrong on Sam Darnold. Because Sam Darnold, we know, has not played well in Carolina. Actually, he's he's played pretty poorly, to be quite honest. But so is Zach Wilson. So I'm not ready to anoint Zach Wilson yet either. And part of my reasoning on why they should have kept Darnold was that they could have traded the second pick in the draft and gotten a whole bunch in return. Players like such as uh, a, a Jamar 
Chase or someone of that ilk. So uh, I'm not ready to say they made that mistake yet. Let's just see how it plays out. Next one from at Rakasan underscore 101st. All I want to know is what is the plan for tight end? I know people wanted OJ Howard, but what are we doing? It's a vital part of this scheme and it's been relatively ignored. Uh, you are absolutely correct. The Jets did not make an addition at tight end. Actually, it was a subtraction with Daniel Brown, although he was really a non-entity at tight end. Uh, I think the Jets' feeling is that there are a lot of good free agents. Next March, there'll be O.J. Howard, Dallas Goddard, Evan Ingram, Hayden Hurst, Mike Gusicki, who's my personal favorite out of the group, and David Njoku. Uh, the draft, eh, According to Todd McShay, there's only one tight end ranked in the top 22. That's the kid from Texas A&M. They absolutely have to address the position in the offseason. You're right. It's an important part of this scheme. You need a tight end to balance the passing attack. Uh, and I suspect they will uh, invest some resources in that in the offseason. Next, at the underscore Miracle 91. Seems that with Corey Davis out, we spread the ball out to other guys with 10 receivers catching a pass. Do you think this is Mike White being in or a new game plan? I think it's totally Mike White. It's not a game plan. It's not a, oh, let's throw to Corey Davis every week when my, you know, when Zach Wilson's the quarterback game plan. It's Zach Wilson uh, just being a little bit myopic and leaning heavily on one guy instead of going through all his progressions. I think you saw Mike White go through all his progressions. He realizes that there are running backs on the field, as we saw Michael Carter have a great game. Ty Johnson had a good game catching the ball. Mike White realizes that. He's not afraid to throw the check down. The word check down is not yet in Zach Wilson's vocabulary, so I think it is clearly more of a quarterback thing it's not a offensive coordinator thing or a play calling thing. It's just, and, and quite frankly, Corey Davis, you know, he's had some drop passes. He t- tends to disrupt the rhythm of the offense. I think it was great that they got everybody involved. Okay, let's talk Jets Colts Thursday night. The Jets do not have a glorious history in primetime football. I have a story about this on ESPN.com. It'll be posted Thursday morning. The Jets have lost six in a row and 16 of their last 23 games in prime time, going all the way back to the butt fumble game in 2012. Uh, It's not only bad football. They've had some rather infamous moments. I mentioned the butt fumble. There was the butt wipe by Isaiah Crowell. The ghost game, they had Rex Ryan coming out to beat them. They've had a lot of things go wrong. Quarterback injuries last year, Sam Darnold getting hurt. We had Trevor Simeon getting hurt a couple of years ago. So bad things happen to the Jets in prime time. I think there'll be a respectable performance on Thursday. I think the Colts will win the game 24-21 simply because it's really hard for a road team on a short week to win a football game. The Jets are a young team. A lot of players have not been in a situation like this. They are dealing with some injuries, questions at left tackle. Not sure if George Fant will be able to go. Question about Corey Davis. Not sure about him. So I'm going to give a slight edge to the Colts in this game who absolutely need it to stay in the playoff race. They're hanging by a thread right now. I do think Mike White will play well. 
I think he will not embarrass himself. I think he will give Robert Sala a decision to make on quarterback moving forward. But like I said, slight edge to the Colts, the Jets, primetime, just just an oil and water thing, man. Just an oil and water thing. It is not good. Want to thank our guest, Bob Wischusen, the radio voice of the Jets, for joining us in the second segment. Thanks, of course, to producer Jeff Scopin for putting it all together. Appreciate you stopping by this week. Enjoy Thursday's game. Enjoy your mini buy, and we'll talk to you next week on Flight Deck. <laughs> <laughs> 